Hello and welcome to the Unbundled Attorney Mastermind Podcast. My name is Dave Ahrens and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Unbundled Attorney. In this podcast, we interview many of our provider attorneys, as well as some of the leading experts in the industry to isolate the best practices for building internet generated leads and how to ethically and effectively offer unbundled legal services and other more affordable options in your practice. For more information about our services, visit www.unbundledattorney.com. All right, so today we're interviewing Mark Brinkworth, who is one of our unbundled attorneys out of Kansas City, Missouri, doing family law, and we've worked together for quite some time. And Mark has a unique background. He was a police officer, worked in the entertainment industry, used to live in Los Angeles for a period of time, and so he's really just worn a lot of different hats prior to becoming an attorney. Uh, And then once he did become an attorney, a lot of, uh, by the way, he's also a martial arts instructor as well. So just a lot of different skill sets, perspectives. And when he became an attorney, a lot of these experiences from the past have informed the way he practices law. And we talk about that at the beginning of the episode, you know, how working as a police officer uh, helps him understand two sides to each story and sticking to the facts and relating to clients a little better. And and a lot of experiences he's had working with clients, making sure people understand what it is they can and can't accomplish in court, being honest and truthful with people and so forth. So a lot of really good suggestions there. But we really, the second part of the episode is really about how Mark has had to transition his practice into becoming a technologically enabled streamlined practice and how that's enabled him to be able to be offering payment plans much more effectively and have that work out for him. Uh, also, you know, enabling him to do unbundled services. And we talk a lot about how technology and implementing technology is one of the most co- important components to also being able to offer unbundled services and payment plans affordably and profitably. You know, for Mark, it's been a real challenge. Uh, we've, you know, Graham is one of our, you know, representatives and he's worked really closely with Mark for a long time. And a lot of times, every time we would bring in a new phase, there was some resistance to implementing it. And, you know, gosh, you know, I, okay, fine. And so we kind of have to bug. But at each phase, he, he shares kind of what that experience has been for him, but how each tool that he's implemented has implement, impacted his practice in a positive way. And all the resistance he had to modernizing and adapting and uh, to this you know, significantly changing market through every single step. So it's a great example of some of the challenges that I think any attorneys are going through right now, trying to modernize and adapt their practice as times are changing so quickly and technology is evolving so rapidly and being able to hear Mark's story about uh, how he's been able to do that and overcome some of those uh, resistance, that resistance and those barriers. So uh, just a really valuable episode. You're going to have a great example from someone that's kind of really gone from you know what you would consider old school and very traditional to a tech-enabled, unbundled legal service practice and is serving just an incredible amount of clients now that he otherwise couldn't and doing very well uh, in his practice as a result. So let's get right into it. This interview with Mark Brinkworth, one of our unbundled attorneys out of Kansas City, Missouri. All right, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a, this is a long time coming. We've worked together for, gosh, it's got to be a couple of years by now, and uh, it's been quite the journey with its own ups and downs. But you know, a gradual meteoric rise to to where we are today from where we first started, and and there's been lots of lessons learned in between. So I'm really glad that we're getting an opportunity to to explore it all, unpack it, and and uh, and share what's been working for you. So I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. 
No doubt. So, you know, Mark, uh, from what I know about your background, it's been you've you've taken kind of a unique approach to becoming an attorney. You did you had kind of like multiple lives before your 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 lawyering. So uh, maybe you can just kind of share uh, your background as a as a as an officer and and also the work you were doing before that, uh, just to give people some perspective. I know you spent some time overseas too, which you know a lot of our uh, the team members have done that as well. So maybe just give us a you know quick background on uh, how you came to this uh, practice of law. Yeah, I uh, well, I went to the University of Kansas and I was actually a film major. And so when I graduated, I moved to Los Angeles and I was working at a, one of the largest talent agencies in the world there. And I uh, I was there for for a while in the agent training program, and I kind of realized that that wasn't the route I wanted to take. And then I was uh, working as a boxing and kickboxing instructor in Santa Monica for a little while, trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do. And I realized that Los Angeles is a very expensive city to be treading water in while you figure out what you want to do. So I'd moved back to the Midwest, and then uh, I looked at law school, and I'd taken the LSAT, and, but I I wasn't quite ready for it. Yet. So uh, I actually applied for a job as a conversational English instructor in South Korea. And I went there and uh, they, I submitted my application and pretty much the same day I got called back by the owner of this school and uh, they wanted to bring me over there and they paid for the ticket. And I said, okay, great. So went to South Korea and I actually ended up getting dysentery about two months into to my stay there and lost, oh geez, probably 30 pounds. And I, I ended up having to come back. Uh, and then I moved back to Los Angeles, tried to get back into entertainment, but this time in creative development. And then that was around well, when September 11th happened and the job market pretty much disappeared overnight. And then I ended up back in the Midwest again. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it just kind of keeps sucking you back in. And, um, I had had my one of my roommates in Los Angeles. He'd been a defensive tactics instructor with the Los Angeles Police Department, and he said he had told me when I was out there, he's like, "Well, I can get you a job." Uh, you know, I hear your stories, and I I don't think that really <laughs> sounds like my cup of tea. But when I moved back to Kansas, I was teaching martial arts here, and one of my students uh, was a captain with the police department, and he said, "Well, we're hiring," because I told him I was looking around for another job, and so I thought about it and applied and went through the process and got hired. And I did that um, for a while, for a couple of years. And I did, I mean, I testified in municipal district and federal court um, and did pretty much everything that I wanted to do when I was a police officer. And then I left that department and I actually went to work as an associate uh, producer for a morning news show in Topeka, Kansas. And then after a couple of months there, I was promoted to the producer of the show. And then during that time, I kind of looked back at going to law school again. So I started submitting applications and I got accepted to law school and started that in 2007 and graduated in 2010. And then um, something about California was calling me back again. And I, so I tried to go back out there. I took the bar exams a couple of times. That sucker is hard. Uh, yeah. And then I realized that, you know, there's a, there wasn't a very good job market out there. And most of my family was here and I started thinking about it. And, you know, your, your priorities kind of change as you get older. And, uh, I realized that I would probably just stay in the Midwest. And so then I took the, 
the Kansas bar exam and passed that and uh, started taking on cases here. And then, oh, a couple of years ago, I started my own practice full time. And then last year, I think is when I started talking with Graham and he asked me, you know, what, what do you want to do? And I was pretty much, I'm still kind of forming that uh, notion of what it is that I want to do. And he said, well, we do family law, immigration and uh, the probate and state stuff. And I was like, well, I'll do family law. Mm-hmm. And that's how we got started. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that we were able to uh, provide a bit of influence in that direction. I mean, there was leads available. There were cases to be to be tried and 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 people to be served. And uh, that you know, why not give it a shot? Absolutely, right? absolutely. And it's it's it seems to be uh, it's been working well. I was amazed at the number of of leads that came in from uh, and the Missouri side and had to um, bring in a, a partner really to work with or a contractor. To work with me on the cases that has his Missouri license, and so uh, yeah, it's it's been nuts. I think in oh, in the last six months or so, I think it's been over four hundred leads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think right now, I you you've for a little while here, you've even had I think part of Missouri just turned off. I mean, it's been I think just yeah. just Jackson, is it right? Yeah, it's just and one county in Missouri. Because <laughs> you guys, yeah, when like I first... succumbing to the onslaught. When I first uh, signed up with you guys, I think I had five counties in Missouri, and uh, the attorney that I had brought in, we were both just like, what is going on? I mean, it was probably 12 leads a day we were getting, and it was just way too much. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, we went down to, I, I picked the county, and that's that's kind of what we stayed with there, and then I have the Kansas counties Yes, as well. Okay, cool. So, you know, given, <laughs> and so for those that are listening, obviously we're kidding about the multiple lifetimes. You've kind of done a lot of different things. You have a lot of unique experiences and, and skill sets that come from, you know, your TV background, your entertainment, police officer, and, you know, obviously martial arts as well. And so there's so many different mm-hmm. facets to, you know, your layers of experience that I'm sure inform the way in which you work with your clients, some of your philosophies in which you operate your practice. And so I think that's, you know, there's a lot of room, I think, for us to, to kind of dive into that. I think, you know, first and foremost, being being a police officer and being in the officer's shoes in court and seeing from that perspective of being, you know, a, a witness in cases and then seeing the lawyers working, um, I'm just curious about how being in the, in the shoes of a, a police officer, which is a very unique and kind of unusual um, experience to have before you became a lawyer um, and also seeing, you know, how the arrests happen and so forth. And your lawyers kind of just deal with the aftermath of, okay, now you're charged with this. This is how we deal with it. And then, you know, obviously they're kind of cross-examining you as well. So how is kind of being able to be in the opposite shoes uh, from where the lawyers are and now being an attorney, uh, how has that kind of informed and, and helped you in your practice? So, yeah, being on the, being on the stand is an interesting thing when you're a uh... And it's definitely helped me out. I think uh, you really have to pay attention to the questions that are being asked and your attorney has to pay attention to the questions that are being asked because sometimes, you know, um, attorneys will try and slip in compound questions. And if your attorney's not paying attention, uh, your answer could really kind of hurt you later on. 
And, but I also tell my clients you know, that their experience on the stand will more than likely not be uh, as stressful as my worst experience on the stand, which is when I ended up having to do CPR in court. So uh, if they get out of there without having to do CPR, then it was a good day. Yeah. I mean, maybe we're not going to spend the time unpacking that story about you doing CPR on the in the courtroom. But um, so obviously, that's one of the things you as a police officer, maybe you could talk just about how you relate that to your clients. You know, obviously, you're interviewing people on the side of the road. But, you know, family law is definitely more emotional. Uh, there's a lot of things involved. And this is probably one of the challenges, I think, for a lot of people that are going pro se or trying to handle things on their own, is they mix the facts of their case with the emotional factors. And, you know, and so how do you help them? Maybe perhaps you can share a little bit about your experience as a police officer and, and sorting out the emotions from the facts and how you relate that to your clients. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, people definitely get their emotions uh, mixed up and mixed in to the facts of the case. And, you know, when I was a police officer, when I was going through the academy, they would always say, you know, there's there's two sides to every story and in the middle there is going to be the truth. Um, and so you, you kind of, when you talk to your clients, you could take in what they're telling you, but I'm not saying that you don't believe them. You believe them because that's to them. That's, that's what happened. You know, that's their truth, if you will. But it's not necessarily going to be the exact record of what had happened. And so you need to help them realize that their emotions may have kind of clouded their interpretation of things. And so, um, there may be a, a different approach. And if we can just kind of calm down a little bit, we might be able to get a, a better resolution than they originally had wanted and one that's more uh, satisfactory to to them. And then perhaps the other side as well, uh, and which it keeps costs down. You know, the last thing that judges will say all day that they don't want to have a trial because it costs too much. And you don't want to drive up the cost for your clients. And so, yeah, you, you want to talk to them and, and kind of, guide them through. I mean, I think that's part of the the role as both an attorney and legal counselor is that you kind of counsel them on things. And in the end, the decision is up to them. If they want to say, no, nah, I want to take the trial, then that's, that's the route, you know, you can take, but um, you, you want to help them see all options. And so it's good to empathize with them, but you also have to keep your eye on the ball and you, you kind of do that by not getting emotionally uh, entrenched in the case. Hmm. Hey, I wonder if we could give an example of someone that you know has a clear, has a kind of a clouded view, and how you might help them with seeing the other side without them, without with them still feeling like you're on their side, right? Like it's there's that there's also that delicate balance of you know being representing them, but also trying to get to a uh, a, a an expect level of expectation and then a plan to move forward that keeps into consideration what's realistic based on the law and and helping them also see the other 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 sides uh case and what they should you know what they're looking at so how do you start to you know get something to level with someone to take into consideration how to actually yet they may feel like you know they want full custody and they don't want their kid you know their kid around their the father anymore you know i don't know i'm taking an extreme case but Mm -hmm. How do you like bring it down? Nope. Okay, do you describe the law and then kind of lay it out, or how do you how do you how do you work around and 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 balance that for someone? Well, that, that's yeah, that's actually not that that extreme of a case. Well, I have a lot of people that I'll talk to, and they they say they want to get sole custody of their child, and it's 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 a pretty rare thing I've found for the courts to actually do that because you're the court is basically terminating that other parent's 
parental rights if they grant sole legal and, and residential custody to that parent. And so you have to um, want to, I usually let them vent. I mean, I was on the phone yesterday with someone who you could tell she just wanted to talk and went during the, the intake uh, or the consultation called. It's normally maybe 15 to 30 minutes. And so she, we just talked for an hour and uh, I, I kind of let her vent on me. And then, you know, after they've done that, then you can kind of say, okay, well, here's the law. Here's what I, I think you're saying. And here's kind of what you can expect to have happen. Does that mean that that's absolutely what's going to happen? No, every judge is different, but chances are pretty good that without some pretty extreme circumstances, you're not likely to get sole custody. And then, you know, they, sometimes you have to repeat it. That's fine. Um, but eventually they, you know, they'll start to kind of realize that, yeah, maybe that's, that's not, uh, what they want to have happen. And then they start thinking, you know, about how their feelings are hurt, but how is their child going to feel? Um, I mean, most kids want to know both parents. And so it's tough, uh, sometimes for them to put their own hurt feelings aside and think about it from the child's perspective. But eventually um, that that can happen. And usually most of the time they'll end up uh, saying, okay, well, we can do this. And then we get into more of a a shared custody situation. And it may just be that the other parent has supervised visits for a while, but um, it's, like I said, it's rare that they end up getting sole custody. And so uh, you kind of have to, point out to them and show them why that is. And eventually I think a lot of people come around to, to recognizing that their expectation was a little unrealistic and that that's not actually what they want to have happen. Yeah. And do you kind of invite them to think about, you know, what do you think is in the best interest of your kid? I mean, think about it from your child's perspective as far as like what they need growing up. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, because that's what the courts are going to look at. When there's children involved, they always look at what's in the best interests of the child. And so clients need to look at it from the court's perspective, too, hmm. um, because they're, you know, they're the decision makers. They're going to be the ones that decided. And that's not saying that you can't present the argument to the court and try and get uh, get them to go along with it. But um, chances are good that the court already knows you know, they know the law. They, their judges are very good at not getting emotionally involved. And so you can make emotional pleas to them. And, um, that can definitely have an kind of an impact. It's an, it's a factor that I think they look at, but it's definitely not an overriding factor that will get the judge to completely reverse course and say, you know what? Yeah, let's give you sole custody. Hmm. Yeah. And yeah. So I, and I can see that being able to being able to be very strong and firm about what the law is is I wouldn't say an uncomfortable but it's a very important role you play as an attorney is to set that expectation and deal with and, and just kind of allow the person to receive that and get clear on that right mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other attorneys out there that I don't know I don't want to say a lot of attorneys but there may be some attorneys that maybe we'll just say okay sure well let's go after it and let them spend the money on pursuing a, a goal 
that it you know in their heart of hearts know that it's probably very unrealistic but haven't been able to have that meeting of the minds and the come to you know come to Jesus whatever you want to call it moment where it's just like okay that you know here's what we can do here and being very honest with them and i think and i would assume yeah. that a lot of the clients really appreciate that even if it's sometimes hard to hear yeah no i think that is it, the job of of an attorney is to tell their clients sometimes what it is that they don't want to hear it's not just to be a, a yes man or yes woman, your job is to tell them, you know, the honest assessment of their case and uh, what they can expect and what is completely unrealistic and, or just even moderately unrealistic and let them make the decision, a fully informed decision on what they want to do. And if you've done your intake procedure correctly, I mean, you should know whether or not you have a client that is um, completely unable to listen to reason and is just single-mindedly trying to, you know, maybe exact vengeance upon their ex because of their hurt feelings. Uh, and if, if that's the kind of client, you know, somebody wants, then more power to them. But I, uh, I try and help the clients that genuinely, you know, are, are looking for help. And that's where Unbundled has been great because, uh, you know, the, the gap of the access to justice is that there are a lot of people out there that really want help and they can't um, afford to go and drop five grand just to talk to an attorney, but they really are genuinely trying to get help, but they just don't know what to do. And they want an honest assessment from an attorney. They want to know what their options are. They want to know what routes they can take and they want to know, you know, if they can expect to even have a chance at winning. Hmm. And that's, you know, I, I feel like that's my job is to do that for them. Yes. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, and, I, and I think most attorneys would agree that's one of the most important things is making sure that you're able to, you know, be honest and, and, and also get feedback or feel into whether a, a client is capable of understanding what's possible, and what's not, or if they're just going to just mm-hmm. looking for someone to tell them what they want to hear and proceed accordingly. And, and there's those folks too. So, uh, that, that yeah. ability to get that also, you know, you're going to get some clarity on who you're dealing with as a client, but for the most part, like you're saying, they want help, they want an honest answer and they also need to get, you know, find a way to do it financially. And so, and when, when you first came out of law school or law school, when we first started working together, you know, I was getting some feedback. I was just as far as like there were some differences in the way that, um, or at least unbundled services and working with folks, you know, and doing parts of the case, offering different you know payment options, and so forth, was um, either somewhat new to you or some things that a lot of things that you've you know adapted and, and implemented into your practice that shifted things. And I'm wondering if you can kind of think back and go through some of the the differences between you know, the way in which you're approaching your practice early on and some of the things that you've learned along the way that either through our suggestion or just from, you know, trial and error, working with the leads and working with the clients that you've implemented that have made the biggest impact on your practice so far? I think the thing that's made the the biggest impact without a doubt is going to be taking payments um, instead of expecting a, a large retainer up front. And that was kind of what I was was doing. I remember one of my first civil cases. I uh, had only, I think, I it was a it was a civil commercial case, and I, I felt really bad charging a large retainer, so I didn't. And then we ended up uh, kind of getting stiffed on that bill. And so everybody that I talked to, all the experienced attorneys, were like, "Well, you need to charge way more up front." And so then I was doing that, trying to do that for a little while, and I just found that 
no one was hiring me because no one has a money tree growing in their backyard and they don't have five grand just sitting there waiting for them to go out and, and pluck it off and hand it to an attorney. You know, people have lives, they have expenses and um, paying an hourly rate if you're doing hourly rates. And I've been trying to get things to transition more into uh, flat rates for most things, but uh, for the hourly rates, I mean, it's just kind of insane what the legal field charges per hour. I mean, like when I was a morning news show producer, I was getting paid, I think, $10 an hour. And I mean, I don't mind saying what my hourly rate is right now. It's about $200 an hour in Kansas. And I'm going, are you kidding me? You know, I would have to work a long time as a morning news show producer to be able to pay for one hour for an attorney. And so that, you know, I mean... the market kind of forces you to, to charge that, but uh, that's why I like the, the flat rate fees and I like the payments because people, they know that attorneys, you know, that we've had to go through a lot of training to do what we're doing. So it's not that they're upset about paying that. It's just they want the chance to be able to spread the payments out. You know, most people, I think, are, are pretty proud of what they do for work, um, no matter what it is, but they just they just want the ability to be able to make the payments and kind of, I don't know, have the the dignity of being able to hire an attorney and have that attorney trust them to make payments and, and treat them like a person instead of just a walking piggy bank, which unfortunately it doesn't occur that often. Well, yeah. And, you know, to be honest, this reminds me a lot of the conversation I had with Charles Skinner on the podcast. Um, I think the episode was relocating your law practice. He'd moved his practice from Apostle to Dallas. But before he became an attorney, he was, you know, working in a factory as a, I believe it was an iron worker or uh, a welder. And basically just, uh, you know, blue collar, blue collar, you know, helping him and as a machinist, I think it was as well, and did all the roles. But, you know, he, he knew what it, what it's like to make $20 an hour, $15 an hour. And there's a lot of attorneys that start out that maybe never had that experience beforehand. And so it can get, it seems like you have another layer of empathy because you know what it's like to be yeah. getting paid $10 an hour and being in their shoes is like, you know, most people like 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40 an hour. I mean, you've got your, your dentist professionals and so forth, but the average folks, you know, that that's what they're making. Yeah. And it takes a long time to come up with $200 for an hour, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. And sometimes I'm, I'm just amazed at the people that will be able to come up with, you know, a hundred dollars a week. Off of stuff, and it's just like I don't know how you do it, but I'm amazed because you know they're coming to you for different different reasons, maybe child support issues, but they're already having to pay out seven hundred dollars a month in child support, and they've got their own rent on top of it and regular bills that everyone else has, and then they're, uh, I mean, they'll work they'll work themselves to the bone, but they just want the chance to be able to to make the payments, and then having um, law pay set up as well. Graham was really on me about that. <laughs> My phone calls with Graham in the beginning, it was like, I told him it was kind of like a, a, a relationship with a, a girlfriend or something that wants you to get you to do something. And it's like, Oh, Hey Graham. And then he's like, so have you got latte set up yet? And it's like, no. And then I just know what's coming and finally be like, look, we're going to do it now. And then we actually ended up setting stuff up and it's, it's been great. Graham was right. It's been great. 
So it, it's really helped out. And I think people, uh, clients have enjoyed that as well because they know that they're getting a receipt, I'm getting a receipt, and it's just scheduled. And so they can budget it in to their monthly expenses and, and go about their business, you know? Yeah, and 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 I think you said something. It's it's, it's almost fascinating, or I can't remember the exact words you used, but just the the you know what people are willing to do to find the money and have the dignity to be able to afford an attorney. I think it's a really just deep point, you know, as far as if you put the faith and you make the give the opportunity to the client to make it happen, and it might be a stretch in many cases, a stretch for people. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, people want the chance, and they take advantage of it. And it's amazing to see what they do, how they find, you know, get the help. I mean, sometimes you're just kind of blown away at how people are able to make it happen, right? Yeah, I mean, you'll see like entire families kind of come together to help make these payments. And <laughs> I do admit, I feel a little bit of conflict internally about that. It's like because I'm, I'm charging something where they have to bring together like. It, their entire family to, to make the payments on it. But at the same time, that's usually occurring when there's a bit of a time crunch with the case. Um, and so they need to get some payments in so that we can actually get going and get to get the court. Cause there's a court date coming up or something. But I mean, I have other cases where somebody can only afford to pay 50 bucks a month and they're doing it. And you know, uh, the, the layaway payments are another thing that, that Graham was on me about. And I, was kind of hesitant at first, but then people really liked it. And so I was like, well, if they like it, it seems to be working. Why not? Maybe maybe, maybe what you do, uh, Mark, is just like, what were the things that Graham were bugging you about? And what, what were the things that implemented? And what were your initial resistance towards? Because, and that's, I think that's one of the things that's, that's characterized our relationship to some degree is, you know, we'd suggest something, and and then you say, "Yeah, it sounds like a good idea." And then it would take some time; we wouldn't implement it. And and but it's interesting in the sense that, like, there's there's there were some either you were busy or whatever it was, but like, I'd love to unpack it. And like, what were some of the things that you were uncertain about or unsure of that you know we had to kind of push you over the edge? And what are some of the things that you know were more challenging to implement? And I'd, I'd love to just kind of share from your perspective, like what it was like for you to you know make these transitions and and and. Uh, you know what you know yeah. like to overcome this stuff yeah well I, i'm i'm pretty headstrong sometimes <laughs> and i think uh graham is as well and so yes, he uh, is, when yeah. we would talk he would one he wanted me to do law pay and at first i was kind of like nah, i don't know i don't really know if i really want to pay a fee or something he's like oh, man look just try it here's you know here's the, the code you can use so you can get a discount or something for, I think for three months without having to pay the, uh, some of the fees. And so I was like, all right, fine. I'll try it. (laughs) I tried it. I I liked it. And then he was asking me about like, you know, the, the importance of not only calling when you first get the leads, but then also sending a text. And I was like, really, I don't want to be doing business by text. And he's like, starts rattling off statistics of how many people actually just use their cell phones and want to communicate by text. They don't actually like getting phone calls. <sighs> okay, but I don't want to use my personal number for it. And he's like, ever heard of Google Voice? I'm like, not, not really. And he's like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. And he gives me a, a website address to, to look up. And he's like, we're going to set it up right now. And I was like, oh, fine. So we set it up. <laughs> <laughs> and so sure classic. enough, I, I could just copy and paste in a text message and send them off to people. And it was fantastic. 
it's really easy to, to send text messages to a, a lot of people, even if it's just, you know, it's kind of something saying, hey, what's going on? Just checking to see how you're doing. You can still do it and you can copy and paste to like every lead you have in, in practically no time. So he was right there. And then he got me to do Clio. And then, you know, uh, then when you guys partnered up with Lexicata, he was all about Lexicata. <laughs> and <laughs> I was actually, I was looking for something where I could use like automated emails. And he's like, that's perfect. We're, you know, we're partnering up with Lexicata and you can get this set up. And he's like, it's only like 50 bucks a month or something like that. He's like, come on, what's 50 bucks? You know, that's like what, one lead? And, and I was like, oh, fine, try it. <laughs> I tried it. So now I've got Lexicata, Clio, LawPay, and Google Voice. Graham is happy. I'm happy. Uh, <laughs> Graham's happy, happy, we're happy. happy you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, the only thing I'm having trouble with is trying to figure out the uh, document automation on Clio, but otherwise it's been really nice to have everything in one place. And uh, also have the secure communications because before I would start to try something like, Oh, maybe I should try this. And I would, so I would have, you know, documents and things kind of divvied up among three different applications instead of having it all in, in one spot. And so it's so much faster and more economical to have it all in, in there with Clio. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, it's, I appreciate your candor with your, with the way you've shared, you know, the kind of the experience and, and, and I also appreciate the fact that, you know, Hey, you know, as it turned out, some of these things worked out and this stuff, stuff doesn't work out for everyone, but it really is powerful to be able to, I mean, to be able to text with Google voice and maybe not have to use it. I mean, these are all the, the initial, um, resistant points that we have from a yeah. lot of attorneys, you know, like whether it be the texting, whether it be not having practice management software implemented, not having an automated payment solution, not having, I mean, these are just the things that are part of this kind of modern, you know, this modern era, this modern technology, people having smartphones, people want to just click a button. And there is a lot of resistance in the industry for attorneys to implement this stuff. You know, yeah. and you know, <laughs> if Lex Cotter or any of these other guys listen to it, I mean, we really do, um, you know, like harp on this stuff because it's so important and it does have such a tremendous impact. Maybe can you just share uh, on any level of, you know, whether it be the Google Voice, the Clio, the Lexicata, you know, obviously you're still working on implementing the document automation, how these things have impacted your practice relative to where you were maybe, you know, year two when we were first starting, you know, first talking about implementing these things uh, mm -hmm. to give lawyers some perspective. Well, being able to add, you know, just as far as since lawyers all love money, I can start with that and say that, you know, having Clio, the ability to have that integrate with QuickBooks is phenomenal. Um, but before that, I didn't have QuickBooks to begin with. And then so I would have to before I had Clio, before I had QuickBooks, I would just use like an Excel sheet and I would have to keep track of what they had paid into the trust and then keep track of any earned fees or anything like that. And I had a separate app that I was using to keep track of uh, the hours that I had spent on things. And it worked, it worked out all right. It was passable, but then I would also end up having to draft my own bills and invoices when I was sending them to, to clients. And so then when I got Clio, it was pretty much already there. I just kept track of the hours and I really just had to hit the, you know, click the button for a quick bill and it would pop up and I can choose what address I was going to use if they had 
you know, a billing address that was separate from, say, their their home address or their work address where they wanted uh, the invoices to be sent or just to have copies of the uh, statements of the account sent and just click a button and boom, it's done. And then keep track of what's into the, in the trust account, what's in the operations account. And if I need to uh, pay the, the invoice with funds from the trust account, I literally just click approve and apply um, money from trust and it's done just like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And I mean, something that would have taken me maybe a half an hour for one thing I can get done in no time. Cause I think you can also do uh, like batch invoices from Clio now. Right. Or maybe you always could, but I, I've, I've only recently learned about it, but yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely a huge time saver as far as that goes. And yeah. then, uh, Lexicata has been fantastic instead of having to call people up or, uh, write out an individual email reminding them of upcoming uh, either court appearances or appointments in the office or something. I can just automate that. So when I set the, uh, the appointment, it integrates with my calendar. It automatically, you know, feeds into my, or populates in my, uh, calendar. And then the reminder email is automated as well. And so I can set the time that I'm going to have that reminder go out, be it, you know, a couple hours, a couple days beforehand, uh, whatever, but it still then sends a reminder out. And so I know that I'm reminding the clients and if they don't show up, then that's kind of, you know, on them. Uh, It's not that I haven't done my part to try and keep them on task. And so that's been, that's been really helpful. And then um, you can also just set it, you know, if you use the drip campaign feature in, in Lexicata, you can just have that set up, just send out periodic reminders to leads to let them know that you're still out there. And if they have any, uh, any issues that they need assistance with, that they can give you a call. And I think that keeping yourself first and foremost in their mind is a, uh, it may not pay immediate dividends, but in the long run, it will help. Yeah. Cause I think people are going to remember that one, you stayed in touch. I mean, I, I an example the other day, I'd sent out a uh, consultation follow-up email to a lead. And it was a couple of weeks after I'd spoken with this person and I got an email back saying that I was, they had talked to literally probably 50 attorneys. And I was the first one that had ever bothered to follow up with them and see how they're doing. Wow. And, they were just floored that I had even bothered to do that. And did I do it? Yeah. I mean, I didn't sit there typing up the, the email, but I had clicked button to send the follow-up email and uh, I'd thought about them and thought about trying to follow up with them. But yeah. I was just amazed. Like no one's bothered to follow up. I mean, just from a financial standpoint, that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> But, but it's understandable, for, right? When you don't have these systems in place, do you, do you think maybe two years ago before you had Lexicata, would you have followed up with them? I mean, if you're honest, probably not, right? No, no. I, I thought about following up, but then I was like, oh, it's going to take too much time. I don't have time to do that, and so mm. I wouldn't do that. I'd think about it, and now I just go click and set it for a, a time. I mean, I can schedule the the follow up email to go out a couple weeks after I've spoken with them, and I've click and forget, you know, I forgot that I've scheduled it and then it'll go out and then I get something back saying, Hey, thanks for the follow-up. Uh, we're still thinking about it. 
or we don't have, you know, we're, we're trying to get together the money, but we're definitely still interested. And so then it's like, all right, put you in the follow-up calendar category again, and uh, just keep following up with them. And so that the technology's definitely helped. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like these are all these little, you know, email reminders, drip campaigns, follow-up emails. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are the little things that, you know, like just like you said, you think about it. Oh, I should probably do that, but it's going to take some time. I got these other things I got to do, and you're constantly. It's. I don't think it, it's not because lawyers don't want to or don't see that there's value in it. It's just that when you weigh out right the the primary mm-hmm. tasks at hand, you've got a case that needs to get filed. You got these other things going on. You have to prioritize, right? And so those yeah. things inevitably fall by the wayside. Um, and so you you, it, you know these systems are what make it possible. For lawyers to be able to, you know, to be able to do the the I don't want to call it minutiae, but the little things, the little touches that clients mm-hmm. really appreciate. And in your experience, all you get is an email back from the client saying, "Hey, thanks so much for following up. You did something two weeks ago. You clicked a button when you initially set up the you, know, you did the consultation, then you set up a couple follow up emails, and then you just scheduled them. And then you're getting emails weeks later from clients going, "Oh, hey, thanks for following up. Appreciate that. And you know, as far as they're concerned, you really you sat down and wrote them an email, right?" Um, yeah, but it's just it's just happening with the click of a button, and that that really is what makes if 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 attorneys had that ability, that capacity, I think I think every attorney would be following up and doing it. It just they don't have the tools available to them. Yeah, I mean, I've I've told other attorneys about that, you know, because they'll lament the fact that they having to follow up with uh, clients or, or remind them about appointments and how that just is a big time waste for them. And I'm like, Oh, well, I don't have to do that. Cause I got this thing called Lexicata. And I was like, it automatically will send out a reminder <laughs> to the appointment and their eyes light up and they're like, what is this magic? <laughs> so I'll tell them about it. Exactly. I'm like Gandalf in their eyes now. Cause I've got this uh, reminder automatically slated to go out. And so, uh, in fact, one of the attorneys that I office with, he's been in business for 25 years or so. And now he's kind of getting interested by it because he's, he's extremely busy. He does criminal criminal law and his assistant spends a, a pretty good amount of time, you know, calling clients to remind them about upcoming court appearances or in, in office visits they have going on. And it was like that time could be freed up for her to be doing other more uh I won't say more important, but more um, legal in nature as far as like drafting things for him that uh, he needs to get filed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's a a better use of the wage that he's paying her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's interesting, right? Because technology is such a important aspect of mm-hmm. making legal services more affordable in this country, you know, because if if lawyers, you know, don't have the time, um, you know, to if well, if you look at it from the other side, if they if they can streamline and make these things more efficient and spend less time doing all this stuff, and you're talking about the document automation, then you have a bigger yeah. margin. You can afford to do things at a flat rate because if you can do something for seven fifty, but you know, you've got all these systems in the back end that enable you to get the documents out the door instead of four hours. You know, 150 an hour, 275. Now you can do it in one or two. Now you're making mm-hmm. 
four or five hundred an hour, you know? And so all of a sudden it becomes profitable to work with people affordably. Yeah. You know, yeah, so it it's, definitely it's, does. This is such a big deal. I mean, just just bridging this gap, not only from a conceptual standpoint, obviously offering payment plans and and looking at the real numbers of that, and we've talked a lot about on the podcast, but also, you know, how do we, you know, inspire or encourage or um, like show and illustrate to attorneys how important and critical and how much it can save in their ability to streamline their practice, and and then how that enables them to. To, to, to offer services more affordably because they they can afford to do it because it just takes them less time to get these things out the door. Yeah. Yeah, that's why, you know, I'm really looking forward to getting that document automation. Uh, I am not technologically inclined. And so uh, and other people might have a, a much easier time getting the document automation feature of Clio going. But that is that is not me. But I'm I'm trying to to get that going because I I do realize that if I can start getting these things just turned out by hitting a, a button, obviously you know there are some aspects of a petitioner motion that are obviously need to be individualized. You can't just automate everything. But still, if you reduce the time that you spend drafting from say two hours to fifteen minutes, that's a huge difference. And what would have taken you, you know, all day long to turn out four of those you can do in an hour. That's right. So you, you think about the increase and in how much money you're bringing in and it's just like, wow. I mean, I get giddy thinking about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it takes something that, you know, maybe you can share your thoughts on this, but a lot of people would, would, would a lot of lawyers, I would think without that understanding or without those systems in place and it taking them four hours, they'd look at, a five hundred dollar document, seven fifty, you know, unbundled service, or you know, thousand dollar, whatever. It's just, it isn't worth their time, right? Yeah. But in reality, when you have good systems in the back end, and it only takes you an hour or two to get a seven hundred fifty dollar document or a thousand dollar service out the door unbundled, um, the effective hourly rate on that is five hundred. So it's taking what everyone has perceived, what is obviously there's a high volume of this in the market. Mm-hmm. We've got 60, 70% of the market filing pro se and and needing lawyers. And the main reason being that, you know, attorneys charge five grand up front and the average person, like we talked about earlier, blue collar, you know, making 10, 20 bucks an hour, can't afford to shell out that much money up front. And most lawyers just say, hey, once you get the money, let me know, right? Um, so there's obviously mm-hmm. a huge amount of people that could, you know, that would love the opportunity to work with an attorney you know, for a few hundred dollars or five hundred thousand dollars, fifteen hundred max, you know, upfront just to get started because they can fit that in their budget in a couple payments. So there's a high yeah. volume, but everyone has always perceived that as low value. Well, I can't make money doing that. It takes a long time to get the consultation. Then you got to intake the person. Then you got to manage it, and then and then just to get out the door it takes an hour or two. Uh, it takes three four hours. There's just no money in that, right? But now all of a sudden, with some of these tools and stuff, it takes that what used to be a low value. Uh, service to a very high value. In fact, it's almost higher than when you would just collect an upfront retainer and bill by the hour because your normal hourly rate is two hundred dollars an hour. But if you can do something that's you know seven fifty and do that in two hours, even that's three seventy five an hour effective hourly rate. Right? It kind of flips the whole yeah. model on its head. No, totally. And I mean, it just goes. You know, it, it proves your point that technology is is definitely it's it's. Increasing the money you can make, and it's also increasing the access that people have to attorneys because it drops down the amount that you have to charge to keep the lights on as an attorney. Uh, 
but it, by doing that, then it also opens up the avenues available for people that are working regular jobs and can't you know, throw down five grand. Yeah. Yeah. And so exactly. it's, it's very helpful. I think. Can you, can you take us through or maybe chronicle the evolution of the types of options you offered? Um, originally, whether it be, you know, you're doing a full retainer, then you started maybe offering half up front and then kind of, then you started doing payment plans and, and then, you know, started implementing some on bundle. Like, could you take us through kind of the, the cascade of how that's evolved for you as well as technology and certainly listen to the podcast and connecting with our community. And then also just what you've been experimenting with on your own, of course, and uh, how that's evolved, like phase by phase, what you did and, and then kind of where things stand now. Uh, sure. I can, I can try. Yeah. Um, originally when I started, it was pretty much, this is the, the amount of the retainer. It may end up being more, it may end up being less. Um, but once you have that, let me know. And then I started doing this and I signed up or Graham got me to do law pay. And so then I was starting to do the payments cause I liked the idea of having it secured by the credit or debit card. And so that was kind of like, already set up and it wasn't something I had to wait for them to bring in the money every Friday or something. And that made me, I don't know, gave me a little bit of security in doing that. And I found it was, I really didn't have, I had one or two people that, you know, the payments would bounce, but usually you'd call them and say that, Hey, this payment failed to go through. And they're like, oh, okay, well, let me get some money in there. And then they'd call me back and say, you can try it now. And I'd try it and it would, it would go through. Uh, and sometimes I've, you know, I've needed to adjust due to life circumstances, what their payment was, but I would do it and it, it would be fine. Uh, and then once that started, then, uh, we started talking about doing some of the un- unbundled services with people. Um, and I found that a lot of times with the, with the family law cases, people, you know, the, they could do some of that on their own, but they really just like having the attorney and not having to worry about it. They've got enough on their mind. You know, they're, they're thinking about their kids. They're thinking about their job, especially if it's a divorce. Uh, a lot of people, and they haven't been in the workforce in a long time, they are freaking out about their yeah. future. Yeah. And the last thing they want to do is have to worry about the rules of civil procedure and whether or not something's been filed within a certain time, time period and whether or not they've gotten responses to any interrogatories that have been sent or they've sent out discovery. Uh, they don't want to do that. And so they they want to do full representation because they like the peace of mind that comes with it. And they like having someone else worries about it and just tells them you need to show up at this date and time. Uh, everything's going to be fine. And then they can go about, you know, trying to find that job that they haven't had in 15 years or worrying about their kids and how their, their kids are dealing with the divorce. Um, so uh, the majority, I think the majority of the cases that I've actually gotten off of the, from the leads, uh, that I brought in have, I think about, I don't know the percentage of people that we've actually gotten into the office for consultations, but I think of the people that have come in for consultations, we've probably signed up 85, 90% of them for representation. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, um, that's been really good and so they've they've really liked the payment plan aspect um i do have i'm trying to work on getting more of the the fixed fees 
in there mm -hmm. because yeah. I think, you know, if, if you went to go buy a car and someone told you, well, it could be about 20,000, but it could be more, it could be less depending on, you know, what happened. You'd be like, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to buy that car. Yeah. And so if you can give them certainty, I think certainty gives them more peace of mind and they're in a very turbulent time as it is. And so people are, you know, they, they like having a, an endpoint in mind. And um, I think that would help out a lot. I know like with uncontested divorces, I know we charge a flat rate for that, but we also put into the uh, attorney client agreement that if it becomes contested, that then it won't remain just a flat rate fee but that will be, uh, and we keep track of the hours that we spend on it until the case is ended or concluded um, and the divorce is finalized because then that would transi transition into um, a retainer type situation and hourly rate. But I want to get it to the point where even that is a flat rate fee. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, we've had a lot of attorneys um, that have been doing a lot more flat rates. And I, I think what's been common is they've been breaking the cases up into segments. You know, like phase one is this, phase two is this, yeah. phase two is that. And then doing a flat rate for each each segment. And then mm -hmm. you know, clients can kind of pay as they go, right? Or And then yeah. so you can break it down into segments of the case or you can break it down right to the task, right? It just really depends on, you know, the the client and, and what you're most comfortable with and what works well for you. I mean, the idea is really just, okay, how can we you know, meet the, the need of the client legally to their financial budget. And the average budget of the person is like, well, two, three, four, five hundred bucks a month, right? Okay, so you can yeah. either, they can either do some work themselves and you do it unbundled or you find a payment plan or you do it as a flat rate, break it up into segments. But it's really just, you know, bridging that gap, finding a way to fit in what needs to get done to what they can afford. And, and there's just, there's just a lot of ways to do that. You know, and yeah, but it's all this kind well, of unbundling, thinking about it in a different way of versus doing the full wrap up front. You know, the big retainer initially. Yeah, yeah. Well, and part of that, the reason I haven't actually gotten to that is you guys have kept me pretty busy, and so yeah. I haven't actually had <laughs> yeah, maybe time. Maybe I slow it down just to give you time to, to implement to, all the systems. You know, just sit down and think about the the rates that I would uh, charge and kind of calculate and go through and figure out what those those rates would be because I, I mean, if I'm not in court, I'm usually on the phone with, with leads. Um, and I mean, Graham's another idea of his was cause I, I was having a hard time. I will admit I was having a hard time calling the leads as they came in. And so he would, I could literally see in my mind, his eyes rolling in his head when we'd talk and I'd be like, well, I didn't get to him until, you know, four or five hours later. And he's, Oh my God. So then he's said, look, <laughs> just pay someone like, five dollars or something per to set up the phone consultation so that at least they contact the lead when it comes in i'm like okay so i try it and i i actually uh, have my my sister doing that for me she's a stay-at-home stay mom and she likes getting a little bit of extra income and she's far more personable on the phone than i am in the beginning i think that's kind of a holdover from when i was a cop she i mean her nickname was bubbles and she calls people up and she's talking with them and she'll get the phone consultation set up and it's great so they know that the that the request has been received and then they know that they're going to be speaking with me and then i don't have to drop everything that i'm doing you know every 15 minutes i mean in the last week i think i got 23 leads um right and so it's like I'd never get anything done if I was stopping to call people and talk to them for a half hour every time I had a lead come in. 
Yes. And so that's been really helpful doing that. Um, well, and also, and, so, and, and what she's doing is really just scheduling the appointment, right? I think this is one thing right, I right. want to throw in there. It's like, she's not yeah, selling yeah. them on she's Mike, Mark Brinkworth's service. It's just saying, okay, well, let's no, get no. telephone with Mark, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, she just sets up a time for them to talk with me, and she has absolutely nothing to do with deciding whether or not you know we send them as a bring them in as a client, or they hire us, or anything. She doesn't talk about the law or anything like that. She just is very personable and sets a time for them to talk to me. Yeah, and um, that's been been great as far as that goes. And it really and is, ultimate, it doesn't have to be a paralegal. It doesn't have to. It almost hurts because like if it's a paralegal or it's someone that's got legal experience, they're really tempted to go in there and start talking about the case. And well, these are the things with factors. Yeah. You know, it's like. But if it's just someone, it really just needs to be someone that's good with people. You know, like, like yeah. feel warm and that's they're like your the first experience of the firm. And just say, hey, you know, welcome. We're looking forward to helping you out. Let's get you on the phone with Mr. Brinkworth. And you know, it's like just mm-hmm. someone that makes people feel good. You know, when they first start out, right? Right. And yeah, I mean, I specifically and purposely don't talk with her about legal aspects of family law because I don't want her um, starting to think, well, maybe she can (laughs) talk to them about the law. It's just like her default response is pretty much, I'm sorry, I I don't know that you'll have to talk with the attorney about that Uh, because I don't want there to be any mistake of them saying, well, your assistant said this. And no, she didn't because we've never even talked about that. So. Uh, she, that's not possible. And she knows that. And so we've talked about it since. Well, that's one nice thing about having, you know, they say don't have, don't work with your family, but the, uh, she's my older sister and we've talked pretty extensively about things. And I've made it very clear to her that, uh, I don't want her talking with them about the legal aspects because she's not a licensed attorney and I can get me in a lot of trouble. And so yeah, she sets so. the she sets the consultations, the phone consultations, and she's personable and bubbly, and that's it. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, Mark, I, I can't tell you. I think uh, how much I appreciate you just kind of sharing so openly about how much of it just the journey of uh, implementing these options. I mean, this is the journey that. You know, if we're going to make legal services affordable for everyone in this country and kind of lighten the load on legal aid and lighten the load on the courts of pro se litigants and and uh, and really shift the <laughs> what's a real problem in the United States as far yeah. as just the amount of people are just going unrepresented, getting no help. This is the journey that lawyers have to go through to get to the point that they can start to offer these options and then and then there's the tools and and how and implementing these tools and a lot of resistance towards that and and lawyers are going through that and just you you're sharing you know how it's been for you and and how it's been kind of like uh, you know and, and you know i guess kudos to graham and we've been able to you know help with that and so forth but it, it, i crack up every time when you say that but like you know we're, we're really uh it's it's not it's not easy to implement these new systems, but gosh, on the other end, you know, it just makes things so much easier uh, once they're all yeah. in place. And that's really the growth that we need to see. And, and a lot of the new lawyers, we see them just coming out with smartphones and and working off their laptops and and to have these tools immediately implemented and so forth. And we're hearing about some incubators, but you know that you know that's generations ahead of us. And we have, you know you've you got. We, the, the challenge right now is, you know, attorneys that have been doing this for a long time, you know, they they got to find a way to implement these things in their practice. And so I really just share, you know, thank yeah. you for giving that perspective, you know, and, and honoring the fact that, you know, you want to do this, but sometimes you got a lot on your plate and finding and, and just the, the way in which you've implemented these things, obviously, are really making a big difference. And your example really helps uh, to illustrate how that works. 
Yeah, well, I appreciate all the help you guys have given. And Graham has been great uh, for a thorn in the side, but, and, you know. and, and prodding me along. Yeah, sometimes I'm just like, okay, I'll do it just to get you to stop, and so I'll try it. <laughs> but it, it usually ends up being happy that I did listen to him. <laughs> well, I'm sure uh, Graham listens to every podcast episode, so I'm sure he'll be he'll be cracking up, and he'll appreciate you saying that. And and uh, we don't mean to be a thorn in that in in the, in the worst way of the way, but it, I'm glad to hear that things these all these things have worked out for you, and and we certainly mean well, you know, when we we encourage you. Well, no, yeah, I mean it's a catch twenty two, you know, because you, you sign up for this because you're wanting to grow your practice, and then when he's telling you things to try and help you grow your practice, you're like, yeah, you don't know, you're not an attorney, you know what you're talking about. We tend to. As attorneys, we tend to get a little arrogant in our thinking and think that we're the only ones that know the right answer to something. And so, uh, it, God love him. He's been persistent and um, not giving up on that. And he'll, if he if he can persuade attorneys to change their mind, then he can do just about anything. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're pretty headstrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. It, it's not easy. It, you got a lot on your plate. I mean, I, we understand. I mean, it, it, we empathize. Mm-hmm. We're, we're on your side, and we understand what you're dealing yeah. with, and and the chimes are changing. And you know, anyone in any industry that's got technology impacting and shifting things in the way it is, and smartphones just came out, and everyone had them the next year. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. Um, yeah. So we're all doing our best, and uh, and I, I appreciate you for doing your best and and implementing this stuff and taking the coaching and taking the direction. You know, because as headstrong as you might think as you are, I mean, we work with a lot of lawyers that we just can't get them to budge at all, and we have you know it just doesn't work out. I mean, it just doesn't because you know they, you have to have some of these tools in place in order to to serve the people that we're trying to serve here. So uh, well, I appreciate you, know, you I for think applying it. I think it's kind of like when I'm dealing with clients and I'm telling them you know they got to keep in mind what's in the best interest of their child. As attorneys, you have to keep in mind what's in the best interest of your practice. And so it may not be something you really want to do at first, but in the long run, it's probably in your firm's best interest. And if it doesn't, I mean, you can stop doing it. Nothing, it's not set in stone. You know, you don't have to keep doing it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's just working on one thing at a time. You know, Brian Reedy talked about this in his podcast episode. It's just he's he's just constantly just kind of refining and improving and implementing new tools and working on his systems. It's just a it's a daily you know the concept of it's like a Japanese concept of kaizen where you just small daily improvements gradually to you know huge advantages over time and just continue mm-hmm. working on improving the way you do things, implementing new systems, testing things out, uh, and trying to modernize the best you can. And that's that's you know, yeah. That's the way things unfold over the course of months and even years. Yeah. All right. So with that, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Uh, thank you again, Mark, for all your time and suggestions and perspective. And it's really really helpful. And to everyone else that's listening, we certainly appreciate everything you're doing to implement all these different types of systems in your practice. Uh, it's certainly changing times, and uh, we really appreciate your feedback on you know how much you're getting out of the podcast, and but also just the work you're doing to implement these new you know new technologies and finding more creative ways to work with folks and and bridging this access justice gap, which I think you know cooperatively, if we're all making those efforts, there'll come a day here in the next few years when uh, maybe this won't be a problem in our country anymore. So I know that's what we're you know so many of you and we are committed to, and uh, and I appreciate all the efforts. So with that, uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up, and we'll see you all on the next episode. For more information about how our lead generation services can help you grow your practice, visit our website at www.unbundledattorney.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to subscribe so you get each new episode as soon as it's available and leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. 
Once again, thanks for listening. 